Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Dr. Karen Therese Howell, who was an Associate Professor of Mathematics and now serves as the Academic Director of Mathematical Sciences at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences, Ames, South Africa, which is Africa's first network of centers of excellence in mathematical sciences. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Dr. Howell, maths for me, is one of those subjects which is so intertwined in everyday living that I, I don't think people really think about how they're using it, whether it's managing personal finances, comparing prices and calculating discounts at the shops, or negotiating their time and daily schedule, navigating their journeys, tracking fitness, uh, what dosages we take from a, a medical point of view, for example. Some of the jobs, though, where maths is fundamental include roles like accounting, auditing, being an actuary, economist, engineer, financial planner, computer scientist, lecturers, teachers. But when you look at the gender stats in these positions, women are underrepresented. So I wanted to ask you if you could please share your journey into the field of mathematics, especially as a woman in what has traditionally been known as, as a male-dominated environment. Thank you. So my journey started with a, a choice to complete a BSc in mathematics and computer science. So mathematics was a second focus area. Um, my idea was to become a programmer. Um, but in the first year of mathematics, I really started enjoying the work and understanding it and performing well. And I started wondering if I shouldn't take it through um, second year and third year. And at the end of third year, I had absolutely fallen in love with the subject. Uh, we had just studied abstract algebra, uh, which is a subject in which you study structures and you understand um, how the different mathematical components fit together. And suddenly a whole new world opened up to me. And I started playing with this idea of perhaps continuing with mathematics. And that coupled with very inspiring lecturers who encouraged me to continue um, resulted in me continuing an honors level. And from there on, I rolled it out year by year. I never quite believed that I had the potential to become a mathematician. But with every passing year and every passing degree, I started believing more and more in myself and my ability and also really developing an appreciation for the beauty of the subject. Um, and that is how I became a mathematician. At the end, I'm very happy with the decision I made. It's so interesting how we can start one journey and end up in a completely different direction to what what we anticipated but it's it really it, for me it speaks to this idea of of reading the signals reading the signs and not being set in a, a preconceived way yes i agree and I, I think that's also a conversation to have with um you know many young people today are struggling with that decision and they think when they go to university you have to have a set plan and i really think a, you know a lot can be said um, there are certain occupations where, of course, you start off and you become a doctor or have some specialized uh, fields. But in science, often it's not clear when you go to university entirely what you want to do because exposure at school is quite limited. 
And so I find this notion of enrolling for, uh, you know, a broad BSc, which is sort of what I did, although the focus was on IT, it was broad enough that if I wanted to swing it in either direction, I could. Um, and I think that's a lovely way to approach it is to have an open mind about that I'm interested in the sciences. There are some topics I'm interested, but I don't need a firm plan. Sometimes the plan unfolds as we keep going. So you fell in love with abstract algebra. I know that one of your areas of interest and research is algebraic biology. And honestly, this is the first time I've I've heard of the term. In layman's terms, please describe what, what this is and how your research contributes to understanding biological systems. So this is something that's very new in my research and something I'm really excited about. Uh, so I recently started collaborating uh, with Kang Hoi at Stellenbosch University. Um, and what we're looking at is attacking biological problems, but from an algebraic perspective. So this is different from an applied perspective. So uh, we have a very theoretical approach where we take certain structures in algebra and identify which of those structures may be applicable to a certain problem. So a very simple example of our work would be we want to partition things. We want to divide things into meaningful subsets. So partitioning in, in the sense of a simple example would be we have um, a habitat and we want to divide the species into groups. Or, for example, we have certain um, medical traits that people have and we want to divide those into groups to understand. So that's the notion of partitioning. And what we're looking at is um, using certain mathematical structures um, that are already known and that have certain properties and making use of the theory to see what can we say about optimal ways of partitioning or new ways of partitioning. And just to add to that, abstract algebra is a lovely area. I mentioned it before, but it's a very structural theory that um, underpins our understanding of um, most of in fact, all the mathematics that that we study at school as well. For example, the number system having certain properties. So when you get to a third-year abstract algebra course, you understand that those uh, properties that we use in the everyday life actually have specific names. And if you put those names together, you get certain structures. So it's a very beautiful theory. And we're now um, applying it to biology and saying, what can the theory inform us about these systems? You're definitely passionate about your subject. I wanted to ask you. I am. How, you know, earlier in the conversation, I spoke about some roles being um, underrepresented by, by women. How do you see the representation of women in maths uh, evolving over the coming years? So worldwide, there's a movement uh, to more support and conversations around improving the representation of women in STEM subjects. Um, I do feel that they're going to have an impact. It might be too short term to say exactly what the impact is, but I think mentoring and activities around supporting and also um, showcasing women in STEM and women in mathematics are key. And continuing with this uh, train of thought and thinking about um, the worldwide movement of getting more women into maths and STEM subjects, I know that you were a founder of the African Women in Mathematics conferences and virtual seminars. What was your thinking behind this initiative and where did it lead to? 
So I was very fortunate in 2017 to have sabbatical at Stellenbosch University. And I looked for a conference where I could present my work. And I came across an advert for the first Women in Mathematics conference that was going to be held in Adelaide, Australia. And that's the conference I ended up going to. Most of the participants at the conference were women. Um, so besides from the mathematics that was presented, that was incredibly enriching. And they had some of the leading mathematicians um, in Australia and other places attending. There were also several panel discussions and workshops around how to, for example, market yourself, how to pitch your research um, when you meet someone. Um, and there was one particular workshop that uh, struck a chord with me, and that was all about how we each have a different mathematical journey and the uniqueness of each journey and celebrating each other's journeys and supporting each other. And we also had the opportunity to look for new collaborators. So I came back to South Africa with this mindset of, even though my journey might look slightly different to other people, I have a place, I belong. And not only that, I had a new collaborator. Um, and really, I came back to South Africa with a dream of replicating what I had experienced um, and that was the start of um, the African Women in Mathematics seminar series. Um, everywhere I went, I started speaking of this idea of having something like that in South Africa where we could get the women together and talking to each other. Um, I was very fortunate then to attend a workshop for women in mathematics um, at Ames, where I'm based now. So it's a full circle story uh, where I also presented my work and met a professor from America, Professor Newdower. And it just happened that she has the same passions and we were um, then uh, discussing some ideas. And in 2019, we were able to, with the support from phenomenal female mathematicians at Stellenbosch University, we were able to host the first African Women in Mass conferences. And Professor Newdower flew in from America and she was one of the plenary speakers. Um, and it was just amazing to see it all come together um, and that was the first event that we've had. Um, following up on that, we were meant to have a second conference, um, but COVID derailed that. Uh, we were set to go. It was about a week after the pandemic hit. We had to shut down the entire conference. Um, and that was very sad because for the first time, we actually had sponsors and, uh, you know, there was a lot more support um, from, from other role players. Um, but unfortunately, we had to shut it down and we moved online and had a seminar series. Uh, that also had benefits. Uh, there were mathematicians that I would never even have ima imagined approaching who we could um, host as speakers who were very um, supportive and said, well, if it's online, um, I'm willing to do it. And so we were able to get some very phenomenal speakers to participate in the online seminar. Uh, the next thing that came from the African Women in Math seminars was the establishment of the Women in Mathematics Division, which is something I'm particularly proud of. Most mathematics associations across the world have a Women in Mathematics Division, um, and AWIM um, set the scene for that. And, you know, by people experiencing the conversations and how meaningful these interactions were, uh, we were able to put together a proposal um, and it was accepted by the South African Mathematical Society and the Women in Mass Division uh, was established last year.
That's so exciting. And there's an element of give back and legacy and support that it's not you just doing your thing in your field, but it is about being able to contribute to to women uh, in the long term. Yes, I agree. It's very much a pay forward um, system. And I've seen it over and over again. Um, and I've also been very fortunate to meet the most phenomenal uh, mathematicians mathematicians, female mathematicians in South Africa. Um, so we also have many male supporters. Um, so it's it's been a, a wonderful journey to see everyone getting bored um, and uh, get on board. Staying with your career and journey and thinking about your background, you've held various roles at the University of South Africa, the National Institute of Higher Education, Frost and Sullivan, University of Stellenbosch, and now academic director of the African Institute for, for Mathematical Sciences. Tell us more about some of the aims and objectives of the Institute. So the African Institute of Mathematical Sciences is a very special place. Um, and it's it was actually its 20th year anniversary last year, and we're having birthday celebrations in March. The Theosia Kula Festival will be celebrating its birthday. Um, it was founded by Neil Turok, um, and the Institute brings together some of the most gifted students across Africa. Um, last year, the Institute launched an AI stream, but before that, the focus was in mathematics. And so the top honors students across Africa apply, and some are selected, and they come to the AIM Center with a full bursary. And for a year, they study mathematics. And we fly in fields medalists, top lecturers from all across the world and local to South Africa and Africa who come here and they spend three weeks. It's an intense three weeks. They stay with the students. They lecture. Um, they eat meals with the students. So it's a very communal learning space. Um, and I've been very fortunate now that I'm joining it. In the past, I used to visit Ames and lecture there. And um, some of my favorite memories of lecturing were working with the Ames students. Um, you, you have such a diversity in your class. It just brings a different flavor, and I really enjoy it. Um, so that's the African Institute of Mathematical Sciences. There are other centers across Africa. This one uh, was established in South Africa. Which other countries is the institute present in? There's an AIM Center in Cameroon, in Senegal, in Ghana, and Rwanda. Okay. It's really refreshing to hear that we're building our own networks in the continent and that we are tapping into African intelligence and knowledge bases. The, so the African Institute of Mathematical Science's slogan was, uh, we believe the next Einstein is from Africa, and uh, I share the belief. That's fantastic. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Karen Therese Howe, who was an Associate Professor of Mathematics and now serves as the Academic Director of Mathematical Sciences at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences. We'd love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Howe, you've occupied various roles in leadership. And again, another unfortunate element is that women are also underrepresented in leadership roles across the board. 
How do you think women occupying positions of leadership can help influence younger women to consider non-typical roles as alternative careers and also positions of leadership? I think it's critical, and I think there are two aspects to it. Uh, the one is that younger colleagues have role models in those positions, and the second is the element of mentoring. And in my own journey, uh, mentoring by women in leadership positions has been central to my success and also my belief in myself to push myself um, to try and occupy leadership positions and even apply for some of the things I've done came from a confidence instilled by knowing that I'm backed by these powerful women who have faith in me and um, who had many conversations with me guiding my thinking and planning of my career. Tell us about some of the leadership styles that you find work best for you. So I'm very much um, an emphatic person. I care very deeply about people and about their journeys. So I like an emphatic uh, leadership style. And continuing with this thought about women in leadership and rising through the ranks, I Recall last year, um, South Africa's Minister of Higher Education, Science and Technology, Dr. Bladen Zamande, stated that in South Africa, women account for approximately 18.5% of professors and 29.8% associate professors, which for me indicates that perhaps the pipeline of female academics is not perhaps what it should be. In your views, what do you think are some of the issues that hold women back from rising up the academic ranks? I think it's linked to um, often misunderstanding what some of the issues are that women face. So when we launched um, the African Women in Mathematics seminars and conferences, there was some pushback. And through conversations, we understood that even from women and men, there was a feeling that these initiatives perhaps had a focus of asking for an easier journey for women, a different journey, which was not the case at all. And through these conversations, we've tried to spread the word that often, and not always, but often a woman's journey looks quite different and they face different challenges to some of their male counterparts. For example, um, at one of these discussions we've had at the African Women in Mathematics conferences, we had a female academic who expressed um, a desire to have more collaborators, but as a result of um, some of um, the cultural differences, she was not allowed to have a male colleague as a collaborator. Now, if you take that into consideration and how few female mathematicians there are in Africa, and if we talk even in the wider space, building a network, it is not easy, and that's a challenge that often gets overlooked and that some of us were not even aware of. Um, so having conversations that really pinpoint what the challenges are for women uh, without jumping to the conclusion that women want a different journey. That, hearing what you're saying um, from cultural practices, inhibiting and preventing women from having male collaborative partners on research is the first time that I've I've come across this, but it is so true. Yes, yeah, so I think more conversations around what the challenges are and understanding um, the impact of them and how we can work together to overcome them and not automatically jumping to the assumption that women want a different pathway to the men. No, 
all the women I've spoken to in the last few years want to walk that exact same path, um, but they have different challenges they face. And in your experience, given your own journey, what have been some of the challenges that you've personally confronted and, and how did you overcome them? Something I found challenging as an academic was making the transition into becoming an independent researcher. Um, and this is not a, something that's unique to my journey, but I did find it difficult because as a young academic, I often doubted myself and doubted my abilities. And so you're expected to build a research network uh, after a PhD. Uh, and usually, you know, you're expected to migrate away from your supervisor and, and make some new contacts. And I find that particularly challenging, introducing myself, um, you know, reaching out to potential collaborators and then also having faith in some of the ideas that I wanted to explore with them. Um, but fortunately, again, with, with great mentorship and support, um, I was able to overcome those. It sounds like those are, are the tools that you are applying in your pay it forwards mechanism to help build that confidence in the next generation of, of female math mathematicians. Yes, I think, I mean, it all comes down to being brave. Um, and despite having these doubts that we have, I think a lot of uh, female academics that I've spoken to deal with imposter syndrome and, and doubt their abilities and, and uh, doubt what they've done even, which is very sad. But I think Despite that, stepping out and being brave and um, turning up is um, what we're trying to uh, support and advocate for. How long do you think it'll take to get over imposter syndrome? Because we all seem to have it. Yes, I think, um, I don't know if we'll ever get over it. I, I've learned in my own journey uh, to be brave and step out. So even if it's uncomfortable, I push myself to apply, to uh, join, to uh, be in the conversation. Um, so I think becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable um, has helped me uh, um, deal with it a lot. And also talking to other women. I don't think we speak about it enough. Sharing, um, being in a community, I have found that helps me deal with it much better. And if there was one thing that you could change in the environment that women operate, that they could have a better future in the workplace, what what would that be? More conversation. I think honest and transparent conversation about the challenges um, that women face. As I say, I mean, that was an example of something that many people wouldn't even have thought of as a challenge. So creating a space for conversations and a comfortable space, um, a space that allows people to be honest about the challenges that they are facing. Um, another example of this would um, be during COVID, um, many women were caretakers and, and were homeschooling their children and were um, taking care of maybe family members who were sick. I'm not saying men weren't, but the majority of it was done by women. And so many academic, female academics, have less publishing that occurred during the pandemic. Um, and when you apply for promotion and you apply for leadership positions, the first thing they do is take out the CV and say, okay, how much have you published? What has been going on? Um, and I think creating spaces where there's an understanding for different roles that are being played um, and accommodating as opposed to 
having a certain metric system that must apply to everyone. You've raised such an important point. Um, I mean, I, I think that is so critical on these challenges that we face. And often from an academic's point of view, a lot of the work happens after hours. And when you are juggling those after hours with other demands, they, those, that time simply doesn't exist. Yes, exactly. We've spoken about maths. We've spoken about your role. I, I wanted to uh, spend a couple of moments if you could just highlight a few significant contributions that have been made by female mathematicians that may have perhaps been overlooked. Okay, so it's very difficult to choose. There have been many significant contributions by many women, uh, but I picked two. So uh, Sophie Germain and Emmy Nother. Um, so... Sophie Germain um, at the time was not allowed to do her research um, but had to pose as a male student since female students at that stage were not allowed. And she made significant contributions to Fermat's last theorem, which is a theorem most people know about. So that would be my, one of my choices. And um, then linked to my own field, abstract al algebra, I would pick Amy Nother uh, for her contributions um, that extend to physics as well. Um, and at the time, she was not allowed to occupy an academic position, but had to work under the pseudonym of a male to be able to lecture and do her research. Linked to this, I also want to mention that we have a very rich history of female mathematicians in Africa who have made significant contributions and whose stories have never been told or documented. Um, and just to give you an example of this, um, I was invited to contribute to an article uh, with Professor Neudauer uh, where we wrote for the American Mathematical Society about a female mathematician, Grace Alele Williams, in Nigeria. And I was just astounded at the contributions she made to the mathematical education landscape. But in order to do that, you have to have a very deep understanding of mathematics. Um, and just to say that as part of the Women in Math Division um, in South Africa, we also want to capture these stories and share these stories so that when we are asked questions like this about female contributions, we don't need to go to Europe um, and America to find the contributions. They're, they're right here on the African continent. We just don't have the stories yet. So a collection of those stories would be uh, one of my dreams going forward as well. The next passion project. Yes, yes, I agree. You know, Dr. Howell, some of the things that you said there, it, it just shouts and screams prejudice against women that in order for these women who were so talented, brilliant minds, they had to impersonate men because being a woman, you just weren't allowed to, to contribute or, or you, you weren't allowed to have a mind. Um, that was was thought um, valid enough and um, wise enough to be able to teach and uh, and develop. I'm so glad we don't live in that period. I agree. And I mean, they did the work for us. They paved the way for all of us. But it is also this reminder that we can't regress and that we have to, in turn, open the doors, perhaps in a different way, to to the women that come up behind us. 
Yes, I think it's a lovely um, reminder that there's a responsibility um, attached to what we have today. And there's this lovely quote about always reaching back um, and helping someone else. Um, and I think that's linked to this, paying forward and giving back. As we come to the latter part of the show, one of the questions that I ask all my guests is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to to their success. And as we've spoken today, everybody's got a different journey, a, a different recipe. So if you can share some of the key drivers to your success. So it's something I mentioned before. I've been very fortunate that in my journey I've come across phenomenal mentors, both male and female. Um, my supervisor, when I did my PhD, instilled a belief in me that perhaps I could do this. So that helped me face my imposter syndrome at the time. And then at Stellenbosch University, I was incredibly fortunate to have women in leadership positions um, who mentored me right from the word go. So I think mentoring has been key. Um, and then just inspiring people and support and having a sense of community has certainly contributed to my success. Lastly, as we close out today's conversation, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in the continent who are listening to the show? Yes, yeah, so and my favorite is a, a quote by Queen Rania that I feel sums up everything um, I certainly aspire and believe in, aspire to and believe in. And that's if, if you educate a woman, you educate a family. If you educate a girl, you educate the future. Very powerful, very powerful. Thank you so much for joining us and yes. um, sharing your time with us and the developmental work that you are doing for women and African scholars across the region. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed this time with you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Karen Therese Howell, who serves as the Academic Director of Math Mathematical Sciences at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences.